Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. Merry Christmas Eve to you all. It's a joy and privilege to celebrate the birth of our Savior with you. Well, my name is Nick, and I am the pastor of student ministries here at Fellowship Church. And thank you again for joining us here on this fourth Sunday of Advent. And I'd like to start off uh, our time together this morning by sharing a story Uh, So last weekend, uh, I spent a number of hours in the truck driving across the state, and for quite a while, I was listening to an audio book until after like three hours, I felt like, okay, I needed a little bit of a break from that. So I paused and I swapped over to the radio and I began just kind of surfing to see what I might find and who knows where I was, Pennsylvania. And so I kept kind of surfing and surfing, and then I ended up pausing on one radio station, and I listened to what the DJs were talking about, and I couldn't even tell you where I was. I think I passed a barn two miles before, and it was all just dirt, and I didn't know where I was, but I was going. And so as I was listening to the station, the DJ said something that caught my attention. They were referencing Scripture, And they were quoting these words in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And then they began talking about how we should be a light to others this Christmas. But what I soon realized, though, was that this was not a Christian radio station. These DJs were quoting Jesus to illustrate this point of how we should be a light to others. And they kept using this phrase, spread the light, spread the light. And what they were getting at was that light in this instance was more so Christmas cheer or good wishes, good vibes, whatever the case may be toward others. And so maybe you've heard that phrase before, to be a light, whether in Christmas movies or music or TV ads, to be a light. But is this really what Jesus meant when he said this? Simple good cheer, be a good cheer, good wishes to others? Well, this morning, we're going to unpack what Jesus actually meant and look at how as followers of Jesus, we are called to be the light of the world. And so when Jesus gives the instruction here about being the light of the world in Matthew chapter five, he's teaching about kingdom living and he's primarily addressing his disciples and not simply just the 12 disciples, but for those who are seeking to follow him. And so Jesus is calling his followers to be the light of the world. And He's not challenging them to become the light of the world. But for those who have made the decision to follow Jesus, he states strongly that you are the light of the world. And remember what Isaiah chapter 9 says, the passage that Pastor Tim looked at last week. Isaiah 9 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shown. And so according to Isaiah, we are a people who have seen and received light. And so in order to be the light, to even talk about what that means, we first 
must receive the light. And so where does this light come from? What do I mean when I say the light? Well, Jesus actually tells us in John chapter 8. And so that's where our main focus is going to be this morning. So if you have a Bible in front of you, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 8. I'll give you a moment to find that. John chapter 8. Where does this light come from? So John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, says this. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself, but your testimony is not true. And so Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here, the religious leaders, and he declares to them that he is the light. And now if you were to just read this in your devotionals without going any deeper, you might just wonder why they call Jesus a liar. And if you were to keep reading by the end of the chapter, they actually all pick up stones in order to throw at him and kill him. And if you're just reading this, you might think that seems like a bit of a crazy response to him saying that he's the light of the world. But in order to understand the power behind what Jesus is saying and why the religious leaders were calling Jesus a liar and willing to commit murder because of this belief, we need to understand what's happening here in the background. So if you're a teen or a college student in the room, you know what I'm about to say. And I can hear the eyes rolling and I just love it. Context is key. And so before we can understand and unpack what Jesus means here, we need to understand what's happening around the context in John chapter 8. So to help provide a little framework here, prior to what Jesus declares here in these verses, the Jews had just celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, known as Sukkot. And so this celebration is one that God instituted in Leviticus chapter 23, in which they are to remember how God brought them out of Egyptian slavery and provided for them. And so what the Jews do during this festival is they actually uh, put up small tent-like structures outside of their homes, otherwise known as tabernacles. So here's some Old Testament camping happening here in many ways. And they would stay in these tent-like structures for a whole week. And this was to recall and remember the time that they as a people spent in the wilderness and how God had led them out of slavery in Egypt. Well, way back in the book of Exodus, the Israelites, God's chosen people, they were in Egyptian captivity and they were oppressed for 400 years. And so God calls and commissions Moses and Aaron to lead the charge to use them to set his people free. And so, to do so, God begins to send various plagues upon Egypt to uh, persuade Pharaoh to free the Israelites from captivity. And if you know much about the Bible, this is the ten plagues in which I'm referring to. But the ninth plague in the ten plagues that happens back in Exodus, the ninth plague is integral to what Jesus says here in John chapter 8. So 
bear with me for a moment. Keep your, keep your finger in John chapter eight and go all the way back to Exodus chapter 10. Okay, so go back to the very beginning of your Bible. So Genesis and then Exodus. So, but keep your hand in John eight and go back to Exodus because in order to understand again what Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world, we need to understand the context surrounding the power behind this statement. So Exodus chapter 10, starting in verse 21, says this, and I'll have it on the screen here as well. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a pitch darkness in all of the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Okay, so this is the ninth plague that happens. And so God brings this darkness over Egypt for three days. But this is not just your normal darkness. It had this supernatural element to it that could be felt on many levels. And so in Hebrew, that word darkness literally means dark darkness. Like the writers couldn't comprehend how to describe the darkness, so they just use multiple of the same words to emphasize their point. Dark darkness, in case you need the help. And so it was a staggering darkness where you could feel around trying to identify anything. It had this deeper level as if you were almost trying to find one's way. And this darkness was so great and thick, it could essentially be touched. And maybe you've been in a place that's been very, very dark, and you kind of almost feel like you're maybe swimming in darkness. Just take that and multiply it by a thousand. So it was so dark that the Egyptians could not see one another, and they couldn't even leave their home for three days. Like, you, you think you would know your home pretty well, that maybe you could kind of get around and out. But this was so dark, they couldn't even leave their homes. But this darkness was not just physical. It also was symbolic of where Egypt was spiritually. Because God is light and Egypt was rejecting God, this revealed their total absence of God's presence, light. And so because Egypt rejected God, they rejected the light. So now they are submerged in physical darkness, but it also reveals their spiritual darkness. And similarly, doesn't this reflect where our world is today in many ways? From the moment Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, humanity has lived in a fallen world. There is sin all around us, darkness all around us. There is not one place you will go where sin has not sunk its teeth into. Sin, like a virus, has infected every area, every molecule of our world. There's nowhere you can go where sin has not influenced. And the sin, this darkness, is almost like the water that we swim in, in which we live. But this isn't just our world externally, like, okay, well, the darkness is out there. I'm just a fish trying to swim in this darkness. But this is also indicative of us internally. 
Because you see, in the Bible, darkness signifies error, ignorance, rebellion, death, everything that is opposed to God. And this darkness is the result of sin. And this darkness clouds our purpose, our identity, our desires, thoughts, feelings, everything. And this darkness also dwells in the minds and hearts of sinners, just like you and me. Paul says in Ephesians 4, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And so if you would indulge me for a second, trust me on this, I want you to just take a moment and just close your eyes. Close your eyes nice and tight, okay? And keep them closed. Take a breath if you need to. Just close your eyes nice and tight. Now, you still might see a little bit of light, but take a moment and just consider the darkness that you see with your eyes closed. Take a moment and think about what this darkness is. Keep your eyes closed. Apart from God, who is the light, you yourself are submerged in darkness. So much so that our sin and darkness is our state of being. We live in darkness. We are infected with darkness. Our entire state of being, who we are, is darkness. Okay, now you can open your eyes. I don't want you to get too comfortable. This darkness is who we are, the world in which we live. And so God brings about a deep darkness upon Egypt for three days. But is this dark darkness everywhere? Let's keep reading. Back to Exodus chapter 10. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. The darkness was everywhere but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Is this a coincidence? This dark darkness engulfed everyone in Egypt except the Israelite camp. And so while the Egyptians were submerged in darkness, light remained where the people of God were. Why? Because God was with his people, which means there was light. Because as Pastor Stephen looked at a few weeks ago in 1 John 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so in the midst of the darkest of dark, there was light because God is light and God was with his people. So the Israelites had light. And so where God's presence is, there is light. Where God's presence is, there is light. Because in him, there is no darkness at all. And if we were to continue reading in the Exodus story, in chapter 12, Pharaoh has had enough and releases the people of Israel from slavery to go serve the Lord. And a bunch of other things happen in there, but I'll let you read the rest of that story. And as the Israelites left Egypt, heading towards the promised land, look at what happens. In Exodus chapter 13, and the Lord went before them 
by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light. You see, God is light itself, and that light leads and guides. And so with what happened here in Exodus in mind, and that was just a real brief overview, now flip back to John chapter 8. Okay. So with this in mind, let's step back into what Jesus here is saying in John chapter 8. And so he's having this conversation with the Pharisees after Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so during this festival, these religious leaders would light 75-foot-high lamps to illuminate the entire area. And so for point of reference, that's nearly the length of a basketball court. So imagine a giant lamp, roughly the size of a basketball court, placed upright, and they would illuminate these. And this is where my, wonder, my brain thinks, I wonder if it, would be, it was the interns that had to light those. I don't know. <laughs> but they would light these 75-foot tall lamps. And the light from these lamps were bright enough to light up Jerusalem. And they would dance all night and celebrate as if it was in the middle of the day. And it was said by a number of commentators that these lamps were so bright from the temple court area, that it penetrated every courthouse in Jerusalem. Essentially, there's not one corner of Jerusalem that didn't have light during this festival. And the celebration of light reminded Israel how God led them through darkness by light and how he is light. And so with all of this context in mind, Jesus takes this important visual and applies it to himself. Let's read that verse again with some of this in mind. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is declaring to the Pharisees that he is light. As God had led them out of darkness in Egypt, so does Jesus. Just as God brought light in the midst of the Israelite camp during the plague of darkness, Jesus is light. Why? Because Jesus is God. And by making this claim that he is the light of the world closely connected to this festival, Jesus is not shy about who he is claiming to be, that he is God, he is the Messiah, and he was sent by God to be a light to the nations. To be the light of the world is for Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. But not only does he declare that he is the light of the world, he then says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus being the light of the world brings light to those who follow him. And when we follow him, we stay in the light and do not walk in darkness. So to be the light, you must have the true light. Friends, Jesus Christ alone brings the light of salvation to a sin-cursed, dark world. 
To the darkness of falsehood, he is the light of truth. To the darkness of ignorance, he is the light of wisdom. To the darkness of sin, he is the light of holiness. To the darkness of sorrow, he is the light of joy. And to the darkness of death, he is the light of life itself. Jesus is the light of our salvation out of darkness. And if you feel like you are in darkness, then turn to the light, Jesus Christ. And as Paul reflects on when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, listen to what Paul says in Acts 28. He says this, I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith. And so Jesus is calling each and every one of you to step out of darkness, to turn from darkness to light, to Jesus Christ, where you will find life itself. And so just as Israel follow the pillar of fire in the wilderness. So Jesus calls mankind to follow him. The one who follows Jesus will not walk in the darkness of sin, the world, and Satan, but will have the light that produces everlasting light. And so light is something that we don't always think about, right? It's just normal. But as soon as the power goes out, what do we do? Where's the flashlight with the batteries that have been in there for 30 years? They probably still work, right? We're so used to light. But light brings life. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is why the religious leaders, the Pharisees, get so up in arms and call Jesus a liar. How dare this Jesus call himself the light of the world? Because only God is the light. So who is this man to claim to be the light of the world? Who does this guy think he is? But Jesus says that his testimony is true. Why? Because God, who is light, is the one who sent Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, I am the one who bears witness about myself. First of all, I, my, I'm my own testimony. But second, and the father who sent me bears witness about me. And so God sent Jesus to bring people out of darkness into the light and our response should be to follow him. And when I say follow, I don't mean like just be a fan of Jesus. I don't mean just hit the follow button, like a few verses on his, on his profile, go to church once in a while. But I mean, follow him with every part of your life, with your head, with your heart, and your hands. Are you following Jesus? Jesus wants your whole life. Not just your Sunday mornings or your evenings every so often. He wants your life. But the hope is that where you find light, you find life. And all of this 
is what makes what Jesus says so powerful. And with the Pharisees having this visual of the lamps illuminating all of Jerusalem during this festival, Jesus makes the connection and declares mightily, I am the light of the world. And so look to me. But what's so amazing about this message of salvation, it's not just for the people of God, for Israel. It's for us too. Way back in Deuteronomy, Moses gathers the priests together and he tells them, call everyone together, men, women, children, and the foreigners living in your town so that they may hear this book of instruction and learn to fear the Lord your God. That's why we gather here to study God's word and to worship him. And so because Jesus is the light of the world, when we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we are brought from darkness into light. And this is the greatest transaction and transformation you will ever experience. And that's why Jesus says what he says in John 8. Because church, we in Christ are light receivers. When we make the decision to follow Jesus, we step out of darkness and receive the light and life of salvation. And so we, for those who follow Jesus, are light receivers. So what does this mean, though, for us today? Well, not only as followers of Jesus, as disciples, are we light receivers, but our response then should be light givers. And so flip back a few few pages to Matthew chapter 5. So you're in John. Go back a couple pages to Matthew chapter 5. This is what we looked at very, very briefly at the beginning. Matthew chapter 5. Look at what Jesus says here to his disciples. Now, you are the light of the world. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so if you have received the light, Jesus Christ in your life, according to what I see Jesus saying here, you're either shining that light or you're hiding that light. You're either shining it or you're hiding it. Those are the responses that I see here. And that's why Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and covers it up. I mean, imagine on a dark evening, you sit at home with your blanket, you you get the really nice candle, you put it on the coffee table, you put that light on, it's, it's, you know, baked sugar cookie smell, you're ready for the whole thing. And then you take the lid and go, And then you wonder, why'd the light go out? Seems silly, right? But the purpose of light is to illuminate. Therefore, light must be exposed to be of any good use. If it's hidden under a lid, under a basket, whatever, is it very useful? And you see, here's here's the hard part for us, and I'm preaching to myself here. Jesus never contemplated or commanded us to be secret Christians. 
We're not meant to be secret Christians. He wants us to be a light that cannot be hidden, a light that illuminates everything. And so true disciples of Jesus are light givers. And so let me say it in this way. If you claim to follow Jesus, would people in your life be surprised or shocked if they heard that? Imagine if I walked into your workplace. Now you're all panicking, don't worry. If I walked in and said to your coworkers, your neighbors, whoever, and said, hey, did you know that so-and-so follows Jesus? And if they said, oh, I, really? I, I had no idea. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. But if you have received the true light of the world, Jesus Christ, and his light should be shining through your life for all to see. And that's why he says, instead of hiding the light, put it on a stand, front and center, right in the middle of the darkness so it can bring light to everyone around you. And so are you ashamed to follow Jesus? Or do you put the light of Christ that's in your life on a stand in the middle for everyone who comes remotely close in contact with you to see. And as you shine the light of Christ in your life, you will be a city on a hill, a mountaintop. And that city is bright and cannot be hidden. And if you see such a city from a distance, it's hard to take your eyes off of it, right? You're you're drawn to it. And so people will naturally be drawn to you because of Christ in you. People will be drawn to you if they, have, if they see the light of Christ in you. And so do we just shine this light for brightness sake? Is our goal just to blare everybody around us? Well, look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 16, Matthew chapter 5. So that everyone will praise your heavenly father. What's what's the goal of being the light of the world? So that they may give glory to God the Father. And so the purpose of shining the light of Christ through your life is for others to praise God. Disciples of Jesus should live our lives in ways that reflect the light of Christ and ultimately bring glory to God. That's why our desire is to be a worshiping church, directing our worship to God, because we want God to receive the praise, not us. We want everything that we do to reflect the glory of God. What's on stage to praying and giving gifts to families in need during the week. It's all for the glory of God. And my hope and prayer daily is that people look right past me and see Jesus. My prayer is that years later after my time here on earth, however long God gives me, is that when people think of me, they cannot help but think of God, glorify him and follow him. I hope I'm forgotten, but I hope that people will see the light of Christ, that they will see Jesus. Yes, I'm making some mistakes along the way, but that is my prayer. And I hope and pray that you would join me in that prayer for us, pastors and staff, but for you as well. 
everything that we do, we want to be worshiping the Lord our God. Because when I study the Bible and look at who I am, I just think, to God be the glory. And so friends, are you shining the light of Christ for you to get glory or God? As you seek to do these good works that naturally come of being a light, are you secretly strutting around saying, boy, I hope people see how much of a light I am. Or is your prayer to say, you know what, I hope I'm a prison, prism, not a prison, a prism where the light just goes right through. Here's your quote for the day, guys. This idea of a lampstand gives the sense that we are to be intentional about letting this light shine. Because lamps are put in places where that light can be effective. I mean, why would you put a brand new lamp in the closet and close the door? What's the point of that? Lamps are meant to be effective, to shine light. And so we should be constantly looking for ways to shine the light of Christ in effective ways. As you interact with your neighbors, your coworkers, you secretly think and pray, please don't ask me about Jesus. Please don't ask me, hey, what are you doing Christmas Eve? I don't, want to, I don't want to let them know that I'm going to church. I'm following Jesus. I'm not, I'm not saying this to guilt or convict you. I'm just saying if you follow Jesus, if you're claiming to follow Jesus, our desire should be, Lord, put me on a lampstand. Let me be a living sacrifice to shine the light of Christ and bring hope in the darkness. And I love what Spurgeon says. He says it way better than me, so I'm going to quote him. The object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all, but that they may see grace in us and God in us and cry, what a father these people must have. What a father these people might have. You know, this summer we did a whole series on seeking God in suffering. And maybe you're going through some, some heavy suffering right now. Maybe that is an opportunity for you to be a testimony to shine the light of Christ for people to say, wow, they are going through this and they have hope. What a father these people must have. And so when people look at you, do they see any light at all? Or do they just see darkness? If they do see light in you, whose light is it? Is it my light? Is it Nick's light? Or is it the light of the world, Jesus Christ? So when I was a kid, I was fascinated with the moon. I don't know why. I just thought it was the coolest thing to me. And I grew up in the woods. We had like eight acres of woods, and right in the middle was our house. And it was in this big clearing. And I could sit outside and look up and see the moonlight so clearly. There were no close buildings nearby competing for light. And so the moon would just shine bright and so clear. And I'd always try to see if I could count how many little craters and things I could see. And so for reference, in case some of you didn't know, growing up, and today my dad is still a lumberjack by trade, and so yes, 
Indeed, the irony is my last name is Forrester, and growing up and still today, my dad is a Forrester. I promise you, I, you can't make this stuff up. And so I remember growing up, waking up at like three, four in the morning and going to work with him. And we would leave, and to me, it was like middle of the night, dark. And we traveled to go to where we were cutting some timber. And the goal was to leave in the dark to be ready for first light. Because my dad's philosophy was, if the sun is up, boy, we are, we are ready to work. We were ready for that first light. And so in the early morning, in the middle of the mountains, darkness, I remember how quiet and still and dark it would be. Very, very dark. And yet, the moon would shine bright through the trees and provide enough light to even walk around and get prepped for the day. There were some days when the moon was shining bright, it was like the sun was out and we could just walk around and get stuff ready. I remember a couple times I was so fascinated by the moon and I was looking at it for a while. My eyes would kind of start to hurt and you know, I start to see things. It was almost like I was looking at the sun itself. And so in the darkness, I was always mesmerized by its light. Well, years later, I learned something very devastating about the moon. And if this is new knowledge, I'm sorry in advance. The moon itself does not have or make light. When I learned this, it was like the moon fell out of the sky for me. And so to prove my point, listen to what NASA says. And they know what, they know what they're talking about. I will always have credible sources. NASA says this. The moon does not make its own light. Moonlight is actually reflected sunlight. And so I know, I remember when I learned this, I thought my teacher was lying to me. I made my mom drive to the bookstore and buy like four books on planets. And I read all of them. And I think I cried that night. I was, it was a long day. Still recovering. So then they say, from here on earth, the sunlit part of the moon usually looks so bright, almost white. This is an illusion. The brightness of the sun's reflected light makes it difficult to see the moon's actual color from a distance. A closer look reveals that much of the moon's scenery comes in shades of dark gray like rocks found near volcanoes. The moon has volcanic rock from ancient lava flows, and these dark-colored materials absorb most of the visible light that reaches them. So I'm not going to lie, this, this rattled my brain. Here I thought the moon was this glowing, bright light bulb in the sky that I just sat for hours and looked at. And in all actuality, it was just a dark, volcanic, rock-colored ball. The moon by itself is dark. It's filled with craters and devoid of life because the moon itself is without light. But how does this dark rock illuminate the sky so brightly at night? Because of its close proximity to the sun, it absorbs and reflects sunlight. NASA also says, thanks to its relative closeness, a full moon directs enough sunlight towards our planet to cast sharp shadows on the ground. Even a small amount of reflected sunshine is enough to make the moon seem so brilliant from our perspective here on Earth. That's NASA. 
Take it up with them. Are you making any connections here yet? The moon in and of itself is dark and without light and life. This is the moon in its truest state. And I literally spent like 10 minutes trying to find a picture of just the moon without light. And I couldn't find one. That's, that's like the closest thing I come up with. And that's still not even fully true. The moon is dark in its truest state. And likewise, this is who we are without the light of Christ. Listen to what the Bible says and how it describes us before Christ. For at one time you were in darkness. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the people dwelling in darkness. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. This is who we truly are. But then, something happened in the hallowed manger ground. Everything changed. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The light of the world came in a dark cave behind a motel in a dark time. Jesus came, Emmanuel, God himself, light with us. And just like how the light shined in the Israelite camp in Egypt in the midst of dark darkness, the light of the world, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has come. And so whoever follows Jesus will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so friends, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so if you have received the light of Christ, we are called to go and reflect that light to the world. And you, we should be like the moon. We should receive, reflect, and shine the light of Christ so brightly that you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, illuminating the darkness, the world around us. And so will you shine the light or will you hide the light? Those are the choices that we have. Will you shine the light of Christ or will you hide it? Will you place yourself on a stand to illuminate the darkness for everyone to see? And as you do so, will you shine the light of Christ in ways that people can't help but praise our heavenly father who is this god that these people serve that's why we want to pervade the back mountain the wyoming valley and the world with the gospel the good news of jesus it's not about us it's about the glory of god and so remember the moon itself doesn't produce light it absorbs and reflects light and that's what we as followers of jesus are called to do and that's what we as a church desire to do. So if you're here this morning and you've never 
placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you feel like maybe you're walking in darkness, trying to cling on to anything to find your way, if that's where you're at today, boy, I'm so glad you're here. And if that's where you are, I'd invite you to take a step of faith today. Come talk to myself, one of the pastors. If a friend invited you, stop by guest services. Today on this Christmas Eve, you can receive and experience salvation and step out of darkness into light. What a day to step from darkness into light. And if you have received the light of Christ, this is my challenge to you. Are you hiding that light? Are you seeking to shine that light so bright, reflecting Jesus in every dark area you walk through? Our world is dark and is in need of the light of Christ. So church, go and be the light. And I hope and pray that as we continue to do that, for you in this room to make that commitment that here our church on Hildebrandt Road would be such a bright light that people from all over the area would go, what is happening over there? Man, they're building parking lots. They're doing all kinds of things. Who are these people? What kind of father are they serving? That's my prayer. That people would see Jesus, not us. So go and be the light. Take time to share with someone about what Jesus has done in your life. Find a friend at school, a coworker, a neighbor who maybe is living in darkness and share the light of Christ with them. Don't hide that you follow Jesus. Put yourself on a 75-foot tall lampstand for everyone to see. You know, it, it said that you can see a small candle burning from like two miles away. Can people see the light of Christ in your life from that far? Or are they right up and close to you and saying, what? So church, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And so take the light of Christ and shine it from the mountaintop. Shout it from the hills. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for shining light in my life. Thank you for bringing light and life. God, thank you that the message of Jesus is not about making bad people good. It's about bringing the dead to life. The message of Jesus is about shining light in the darkness. And Lord, I pray if there is anyone here today who is walking in darkness, lost, looking for hope, purpose, identity, and everything that's not Jesus, may today be the day of salvation for them to receive and experience the light of Christ. And Lord, for us who are in this room who have placed 
their faith in Jesus who have received the light. May you empower us through your word, through the spirit of God, through this great cloud of witnesses to go out and be Christ ambassadors, to shine the light, to give light to everywhere that is in need of hope, joy. Lord Jesus, here on this Christmas Eve, may we celebrate the light of Christ today, tonight in such a way that the Peck Mountain, the Wyoming Valley in the world can't help but say, wow, look at that city on a hill. But God, it's not about us. It's about you and your glory. May we shine the light. May we shout it from the mountaintop. Emmanuel, God with us, light with us. Jesus Christ has come. Lord, may we walk as children of the light. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.